This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the College Football Daily, breaking down winners and losers from Week 7, and of course, a conversation about Ed Orgeron. My name is Trey Scott. It is Monday, October 18th. So, This is a fun episode because you're going to hear myself and Carl Reed react to breaking news in real time. We joined together Sunday morning to chop it up about Saturday's games. And toward the end of the podcast, Carl sees a uh, a text alert on his phone that LSU and Ed Orgeron parted ways or will part ways. Coach O will, will coach through the 2021 season and then LSU will conduct a bombastic coaching search. So we're talking about candidates for that. We're talking about the legacy of Ed Orgeron. Of course, it's Gene Chizik 2.0. In my opinion, LSU had that incredible 15-0 2019 national championship season, perhaps the best team of all time, and then went 5-5 five and five in a very weird 2020 season and is 4-3 and three as it stands right now. Coming off, surprisingly, a big win over Florida But as Ross Dellinger of SportsIllustrated.com says, this mutual parting of ways between Ed Orgeron and LSU, led by Athletics Director Scott Woodward, began before that game. So the Orgeron stuff happens at the end of the podcast. Just listen all the way through because unbeknownst to us, you know, we're talking about the LSU players, they fought for Coach O, yada, yada, yada. So maybe that's not true. Maybe that's, maybe they wanted him gone too, but it's just our opinion. So, you know, it just was just us reacting to that game. And that was the one takeaway we had from the only possible explanation for LSU winning. And then of course, we're going to get into when we get further into the Orgeron conversation, get into the candidates. Carl, right after we hung up, texted me, he's like, Damn, I forgot to mention Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker, the Michigan State coach, is actually Carl's top option for that job. We did a roundtable for 24-7 sports, looking at a few others. Got Billy Napier. Got Lane Kiffin from Billy and Body of Go 24-7. Chris Hummer threw out Chris Peterson, the former Washington head coach, Boise State head coach. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if he wants to come back to football, especially at LSU. Andrew Ivins, 24-7 sports recruiting analyst, says Joe Brady would be nice. Dave Aranda, Blake Brockermeyer, says the former LSU defensive coordinator doing a good job at Baylor would be a nice get. Billy Napier got another vote, so Billy Napier, popular name. Bud Elliott thinks James Franklin should be a guy LSU pursues. So it's going to be interesting. This is the best job available now, with all apologies toward USC. This is, this is the primo job available for the 2021 coaching cycle. And it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow. So anyway, winners and losers of week seven, followed by a uh, shotgun conversation on Ed Orgeron and the LSU Tigers and what happens next. All right. Carl Reed joins us right now. Carl, I want to I get into the psyche of the coaching world with you. Your coach, you're a successful coach, been through a lot of different situations. And it's a perfect day to have you on because week seven saw teams blow, blow leads Again, it saw teams fight for their embattled head coach. It saw teams kind of shed any criticism and, and sort of place the place the blame on their coach. It, it saw Lane Kiffin get pelleted by a golf ball and his return to Neyland and, and all that. 
I think the most interesting stuff for you will be LSU, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma State, some other things. But I, I do want to ask, like at, at this point in time, uh, at the halfway point of the season, who do you think could possibly beat the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, I think the most likely team to beat them would be the University of Alabama in the SEC championship. I think that that's the only team that I foresee that could give them any problems. And that's only because of the similarities in the experience that Coach Saban has. And, and Alabama guys expect to win, even though they got tripped up at Texas A&M last week. But Georgia right now is looking better than Alabama is looking, you know, at the same time. But anytime you have somebody like Coach Saban in his program, the way that Alabama is and the, and the, the consistency of their program, they're going to have a chance um, to have everything fixed and be ready for a huge SEC championship game. And not even thinking about the schedule, because obviously Georgia will play Bama. And, and yeah, like Georgia's got Florida, but I, I don't see that happening. Anyone in the country, Carl, could Oklahoma match up with these guys? I kind of think Ohio State could. Is this, are we starting to get any sort of inevitable feeling? Do you think it's possible for someone to knock them off? Their defense is just unbelievable. So the last five or six years, college football has really became, you know, this RPO offense is all the rage, right? Like everybody's scoring. You look across the country, every week is scoring. Everybody's scoring a crazy amount of points. Georgia is playing defense at a level that has not been seen in recent times. Um, They've been unbelievable. Their front seven appears to be just unstoppable. They're doing a great job schematically also. Um, Dan Lannon and Kirby Smart, they're doing a lot of smoke stunts and, and zone blitzes. And so they're able to, to rush four guys, but they're rushing 3D linemen, and you never know where that fourth guy is coming from. And then they're able to cover you on the back end. It's just an unbelievable way they're playing defense. And I don't think that anybody can, can score consistently enough to beat them, you know, going down the stretch. Yeah, to your point, and I just pulled this up while you were talking, I had to go back to 2011, the 2011 Alabama team to find a defense that allowed fewer yards per play. So Alabama in 2011 averaged uh, 3.32 defensive yards per play. Kirby yeah. Smart would be coordinated in, right? So, I mean, Absolutely. it's a familiar formula. They've recruited at a high level. Um, their defensive line coach, Trey Scott, has recruited the defensive line at a very high level. I mean, they yeah. just have an unbelievable, formidable defense that I just think allows them to be the favorite going into, going into any game. I mean, if you think about an opening week, and Clemson hasn't been as strong as they have in the past, but to to beat Clemson, what, 10-3, to 3, I believe, is what the score yep. was. Yep. And their offense didn't play particularly well that game, but they you're, their you're, offense didn't score. It was a pick yeah, six. <laughs> it's a pick six. You you beat Clemson without your offense scoring a touchdown. I mean, you thinking about the shades of the the Baltimore Ravens defense when they had Ray Lewis and Sarah Gusa and Sam Adams and those guys when Dilfer was the quarterback. Um, they're playing defense at that type of level. And as excited as people get about offense, if you have a defense that's playing the way that Georgia is playing. Man, it's awfully tough on the other team. Yeah, and to circle back to D-line coach Trey Scott, the most successful and highest paid Trey Scott in college sports. Um, it's uh, fun to see. <laughs> but, so, all right, so so Georgia, yeah, defense back in style, playing confident, playing sexy, and and they're, they're number one still. The coach's poll is out. The AP poll is not out. Georgia won. Oklahoma leapfrogged um, and is back to number two. I still, of course, want to get to LSU-Auburn or uh, LSU-Florida um, and a few other games. Oklahoma, though, Carl, I know this is a program you watch closely. You've had some former players players go play for the Sooners. It was obviously the right call 
for Lincoln Riley to go with Caleb Williams. Do you think there's any sort of package the rest of the season that sees Spencer Rattler take off the baseball cap and put on the helmet, or is he sidelined pending any sort of Caleb Williams injury? Well, Caleb Williams outplayed him. Coach Riley is a very loyal guy, right? He's a very loyal guy. That's why he he did a great job, I think, or he did what he thought was right in trying to protect Spencer Rattler from the media all week. And I know it was a lot of people that were upset that he didn't allow Caleb Williams to speak to the media after the the Red River Red, Red rivalry game. But at the end of the day, Coach Riley is a very loyal guy. He cares a lot about his players. And so from that standpoint, I'm not surprised that he kept it close to the vest up into the sideline. But make no mistake about it. He is the ultimate competitor and he wants to win a national championship. And so right now, I would guess that he's going to go with Caleb Williams and, and, and run with that because Caleb Williams gives the University of Oklahoma the best chance to win. Yeah, 18 for 23, nearly 300 yards, four touchdowns passing. Ran for 66 yards and another touchdown. It was uh, the second time this season that Oklahoma's covered against a Power 5 opponent. And that was obviously Caleb Williams last week against Texas. Think about well. the way he's opening Back door, but even, I mean, even, they're killing it. This is, yeah. this, is the Oklahoma that, this is the Oklahoma that has a chance to win it all. This is the scary version of Oklahoma. Souped up, supercharged, just bombing every play. When you look at it, even even Brooks in the running game has opened up since Caleb Williams is back there because he's also a very adept runner. When when Lincoln Riley has a quarterback who can throw, who can run, he's a really tough offensive coach to stop. And it kind of at times looked like he's playing a video game when, with Caleb Williams back there. LSU was a 12-point underdog at home to number 20 Florida. They had a list of players out with injuries and whatever that I, it's not even worth reading out. I think everyone listening knows Derek Stingley was out. Eli Ricks was out, yada, yada, yada. Florida, meanwhile, comes in. This is a game they lost last year. This is like no one on Florida would have been sleeping on this game, Carl, at all. Like this was, they were they should have been ready to play. And for the first time all season, LSU shows a pension for running the ball. 321 yards on the ground. They win 49-42. The two angles here, I'm going to let you start with Coach O, is he saves his job for another week. I don't know if it's enough long-term, but they're 4-3 and three now. This is a win that no one expected them to have. Did you see a team playing for its coach? Yeah, I mean, Ed Orgeron has a long history of kids really loving to play for him. I can remember when he was the interim coach at USC trying to hold on to that job when he took over. Those kids at USC played really, really hard for him. Ed is going to be able to go into the room and he's going to be able to rally the troops. And he's as good as it gets sometimes when his back is against the wall at coming out swinging. He's the ultimate competitor. He's the ultimate fighter. And those kids play for him. I mean, you're still talking about LSU and they have a roster of some of the top kids in the country. So any guy who puts that LSU uniform on has been a really good football player at some point. And so they really locked in. They got focused and they played for Coach O. Um, and I'm not surprised that they did because he's very well respected amongst his former players. And he's a guy that um, that that old phrase where they say you'll run through the wall for a guy. He's always been that guy. Two things with Florida. Two big things with Florida. So last year, Mullen didn't fire Grantham, said he didn't want to overreact and make any changes. They fired two coaches in the secondary. This was their worst defensive performance of the season. 24-7 Sports' Thomas Goldcamp at Swamp 24-7 wrote a headline that, um, wrote a column that the latest defensive disaster should necessitate uh, necessitate coordinator change. I know you're not going to sit here and call for anyone's job. I want to read a quote to you, though, Carl. 
um, from one of their star defenders, Muhammad Diabate. He was asked, could they have done anything differently schematic wise? He goes, honestly, I don't know. That's not my decision to make. I don't look into those things. I'm like a soldier. When the general tells me where to shoot, I shoot. I don't really ask too many questions. That's y'all's job. When you hear that quote, what do you think? So my first thought, when people start calling for guys' jobs in the middle of the year, I I heard Coach Steve Spurrier say this some years back. What are you expecting the change to be? As a football coach myself, I don't think that there's ever a time in the middle of the season where making massive changes um, is going to be better for your team immediately, right? Maybe if you're looking at something long-term or down the line and recruiting, but if you feel like you've got a decent team and you can squeeze some wins out, getting rid of a guy, bringing in a new guy, promoting an analyst, you know, whatever you're going to do to bring changes in the middle of the season, that that's not always the right thing to do. Coach Mullen will have to make whatever decision he's going to make about his program in the offseason. Obviously, he made the decision last year to keep him. And so winning games in the SEC is really, really tough. It's why they, it's why they call it grown man football down there. Everybody says it just means more. So when you sign up to coach in the SEC, you do know um, what the expectation is week after week. The Florida Gators is a program that wants to compete for national titles year in and year out. That has become the expectations. That has become the fans' expectations. So anytime they're not competing at that level, you are going to have people coming for you and being very critical about the job you're doing. What do you What do you think when a player is is clear? I mean, Diabate is clearly not happy with with the scheme there. Yeah, he's 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 not happy with the scheme. He went on he went on a quote and said that I think that that shows that there's some dissension there, right? That shows that there's some some things that aren't being agreed with. You want as a coach, you would hope that you keep those things in house. But we live in an era now where you know players get to say a lot, man, and it's a lot of things that go on. Um, and players have a lot of people in their ears, and so there is some dissension there. You hope they can get that corrected. The other one is. Anthony Richardson was a superstar the first few weeks of the season, got hurt. We never saw him against Alabama. I almost feel like that could have swung the tide, so to speak. Finally gets some second half full-time action in that game. Almost leads him on a comeback. He does throw the two interceptions, um, but so does Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. Throws for three touchdowns, runs for another. The fans are up in arms because they're like, we've got this Heisman potential type quarterback as our backup, and it's midway through the season, and he's not our full-time starter. And he was asked... Anthony Richardson was about that, about fans worried that he might transfer. This is going to be another one of those quotes, Carl, where you're like, this is just the day we're living in. He goes, I can't really speak on that. Time is the only thing that tells. Right now, I'm a Gator. If you're Dan Mullen, are you giving Anthony Richardson the job next week? Well, you're giving him the job if you think it gives you the best chance to win. And that's that's ultimately what you have to base that decision on. If it If you feel like it gives you the best chance to win, then you do it. If you don't, then you stay in the direction you're going in, but you also are the person who's going to have to live and die with that decision that you made. Well, I mean, yeah, they, they had the bye, and then it's Georgia. I don't know if that's the best time to throw him out there, but I actually would say, yeah, it's not like he's a true freshman, and it's not like it's game one. I think yeah, he I does mean, give them the best chance to win. I, th- I think they I think they have to play him. I think, yeah, I mean, play the guy who gives you the best chance to win, but you also got to take care of the future of your program. And if you've got a guy who's this good, you got to play him by the end of the season. Kids are going to transfer. I've talked to a lot of players in college over the last month. You got a lot of things that work here. You got the NIL deals. You had a transfer portal. Guys getting immediate eligibility. That's something that's never been done. Guys are going to transfer 
especially at the quarterback position, every single year if they don't play. So you have to think about that when you're building your roster, when you're trying to win now, and when you look at the future of your program. I had a guy tell me a, a while back, you know, if I ain't starting, I'm departing. And if I ain't playing, I ain't staying. You know, and that's where, that's how kids look at it. That's how their families are looking at it. They have trainers. They got seven on seven guys. They got high school coaches. It's a lot of people and kids ears with opinion and not a freedom to be able to transfer and play right away through the transfer portal with the ability to get NIL money is also at stake. Guys are not going to stay if they're not playing. Two more games to talk about. Purdue's David Bell feasted once again on Iowa. I think a few people saw this coming. He had 11 catches for 240 yards and a touchdown. Last year, in a, uh, last year he had three touchdowns against them. In 2019, as a freshman, he had nearly 200 yards and a touchdown against them. What's the fair way to classify this game for Iowa, which was number two and, and didn't look all that competitive against Purdue, where they exposed is just... I think that's a little harsh. Um, they still just have one loss. This is a bad matchup for them. This is just what happens in a long season. This, well, How did you see this one? Bell was really dominant. Um, he's been a problem for them the last three years. I think this is his third really huge game against mm-hmm. Iowa in a row. I mean, yeah. nobody expected Iowa to be a top three team in the country this year. They were playing really well, and some losses at the top kind of catapulted them in the top two, and it puts you in that spotlight in that conversation. They still don't score enough offensively to get into those kind of games where where shootout vibes kind of happen, right? And so Iowa's a good, solid bowl team. Um, They'll play in a good bowl game this year, but they didn't have what it took this season to be a, a college playoff team. Yeah, they, they would have lost to Penn State if Clifford didn't get hurt. I think they'll lose in the Big Ten title game. I think they could lose at Nebraska. We'll see. Peaches threw four picks. Yeah. So anyone thinking in the past week that he was going to take them uh, to the promised land, he would have been, this is my words, not yours, uh, the worst of any playoff quarterback. So that's, I mean, and, and you know, not nothing massively against him, but the guys who win you titles are, are a little bit better than that. Last one for you, Carl. Take me inside the psyche of a team that in a Texas Longhorn team was up 17 to three on Oklahoma state uh, was driving, throws a pick six, which is at least a 10 point swing. So they blew a 17 to three lead and lost to Oklahoma state the week before, of course, infamously, they were up 28 to seven at one point on Oklahoma uh, and, and had a multiple, multiple score lead with two minutes left in the third quarter and then blew that one too. So now Texas has a bye week and then it's, it's Baylor, which is going to be a tough game in Waco. What is, Sarkeesian even admitted after he's like the, the, the team's thinking now about making mistakes and, and all that stuff. Uh, I think that's sort of a, uh, a cancerous rot that can get into you when you start blowing leads like this every game. It's a foundational thing that takes time to fix, right? Steve Sarkeesian did not take over the University of Texas as a premier program. He's cleaning up a mess, right? So you had Matt Brown at the end. They, they ran Matt Brown out of town. They wanted, they got Charlie Strong. They never really bought in the coach strong. They got rid of him. You bring in Tom Herman, things don't go right for Tom Herman. So now Steve Sarkeesian has had success before. He got he got washed in the car wash at the Nick Saban School of Coaching. So you bring him back and expect that it's gonna be magic. It's gonna take time to build the proper foundation of toughness to recruit the right kind of guys for the University of Texas to be successful. Just because you're in Texas and they put a big emphasis on high school football and everybody thinks it's the greatest football in the world down there doesn't mean that you just start winning 
because you're the University of Texas. They're going to have to build a foundation of toughness. They're going to have to recruit the right guys. They're going to have to really get involved in the strength and conditioning program. It's a lot of changes that are going to be have to made at Texas for them to be competing for national titles, especially when you look at the future and then moving to the SEC. I missed a lot of work to do down in Austin, Texas. Carl, I think I would say, though, and I think you would hear this from anybody in Austin, like they were up 28 to seven. They were up 17, three. So they're making the plays. Is it conditioning? Is it like you're, you're saying that this, this foundational issue since, since Colt McCoy got hurt against Alabama of this like mentality, maybe some of it's on the coaching. I mean, like Bijan Robinson, like had one yard in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, I, I think the offensive line's bad. I think maybe sometimes Sark is calling plays like he's at Alabama and doesn't sort of realize um, self-scouting wise, his personnel is not what he thinks it is. I, I, I think there's a lot going on. If you had a team though, that was blowing big lead after big lead and you just took over a new program. If, if your team was doing that, what do you fix during the bye week Are you guys like going to yoga? Are you reading self-help books? How are you doing this? Hey, if you, if you, one thing about it, if you up 28 to seven and you blow a lead, if I did that here in St. Louis, they'd be, they'd be saying I should be fired too, you know? Um, so well, it's like, go to the message boards in Austin. <laughs> Yeah, that comes with, if you look at the message boards in St. Louis, you know, they, they, they might, there's probably times I've lost a game in my career where they say coach Reed should be out of there too. So that kind of comes, that kind kind of comes with it. Could you run the ball more? Could you, could you have given the ball to your running back more in certain situations? When you call them plays, you kind of go on with what you think. Because what was the fre- what was the receiver for Texas, the freshman that had the huge game? Yeah, like Xavier two- Worthy. He, right, he was, Xavier Worthy. He was, he was quiet as crap on Saturday. The the, the, right. the quarterback's an issue now too. But yeah, yeah. So so with the with the way that he played against Oklahoma, you know, I would have felt like throwing him the ball may have gave me the best chance to win. Also, you know, so those those Five situations yeah. play themselves out, you know, in terms of that. But I still do think Texas is nowhere near competing for a national championship. They got to improve on defense. Um, they got to improve on the offense and defensive line, and they have to stabilize their their quarterback situation. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing is like you've got this Bijan Robinson character who people are talking about as a Heisman guy, and then you look at the the team record and you're four and three. So it's like, are you trying to have a season that you're going to remember? You know, or are you enjoying this, or are you watching Saturdays? You know, with one eye open. So how, how many yeah. teams? How many teams can win? Like every week, there yeah. there's fan bases that are just so upset because they don't feel like their teams are playing in the national championship level. How many teams realistically, year in and year out? can really compete for a national championship. How many? Well, not I mean, many. Not yeah, many. It's, it's a I, very small It's a very small group. And uh, right now, Texas is not in that group. And I think it, it does maybe help to remind people that success isn't always linear. Like Texas A&M is playing with a ton of confidence right now. Just had its way with Missouri. Obviously yeah. beat Alabama at home. But the week before, they lost to Mississippi State. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, the week before we were talking about Jimbo Fisher's bloated contract. So, and yes. the fan base wanted him gone. So Calzada was the worst quarterback in the history of the program. Then he beats so, Alabama. So listen, I just got an alert on my phone while we're sitting here talking on this show that Ed Orgeron will not return in 2022. Really? Yeah. I just, it just came up as we were sitting here. He, he's okay. Finished the season, but will not return in 2022. So that's give not- me, give me your, Great. This is, I'm glad you brought that to my attention and I'll make sure, you know, when I, when I start the show, I'll, I'll go in on that. But Carl, give me, yeah, separation agreement, Ed Orgeron not returning. Uh, they, they began, the negotiations began before the Florida week. This is a uh, per, per Ross Ellinger at, at Sports Illustrated. Give me your take on that. 
give me your, uh, I'll, I'll give you my, uh, how we remember him is, is just Gene Chizik 2.0. Joe Burrow, one of the greatest ever. You watch the NFL games on Sundays now, it's LSU player after LSU player. I think we all understand what happened in 2019. You can't ever take that away from Ed Orgeron though, right? You know, he is a natty. What, what, what does LSU do now? Who do you want to see them go after? I, and I know that before the season, it was like the Billy Napier talk, but I'll just tell you right now, they want way bigger. Yeah, they they want to swing for the fences. I mean, Billy Napier, I think, would do a great job there. Um, he's got the Alabama background. He's doing a great job at Louisiana. The thing that, that you had to ask is who would take the job, right? From an LSU standpoint, I mean, the, I think – is everybody ready to forgive Hugh Freeze? Um, is Hugh Freeze going to be allowed to come back in the SEC and coach with, with what he went through? I know that people said earlier that Urban Meyer, you know, linked to USC, and I know he's going through some problems there in Jacksonville in the NFL. But if I'm LSU, I probably do what Alabama did years ago with Nick Saban. Like, I go all in on Urban Meyer. I, I go all in on Urban Meyer. And see no, 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 no. Urban Meyer? Really? I go all in on Urban Meyer from LSU. He's got, he, by the way, he's got, there's some rumors on Sunday morning, uh, right before the Jags got their first win, that uh, he's got some more stuff could be coming out from that that bar situation. I don't know anything about the bar situation. Lane Kiffin, would that make any sense to you? Would he leave? Lane Kiffin, I think, definitely leaves old Miss okay. to go to LSU. He has an opportunity to win a national championship if he goes to LSU. And I think LSU has to vet Lane Kiffin also, right? I, I think that that's a huge vet. If I'm LSU, you know, I, I kind of call Lincoln Riley. I see if Lincoln Riley is interested in the job if I'm LSU. Um, Lincoln Riley is a top-tier coach in the country. And if you're going to give him a Jimbo Fisher-type contract where you're going to go $10 million a year, you know, a little better, I think that you have to call Coach Riley and see if that's something that he'd be interested in as well. Interesting. Can't wait to see what happens. Carl, we appreciate you joining us and breaking the news at the end of the episode. I mean, that was what, what more could you want from a, from a Monday reaction podcast? Okay. Thanks to Carl for doing that and for breaking the news. So we didn't have to re-record an episode based entirely on Ed Orgeron. We'll be covering this story all week uh, ahead of week eight. Uh, LSU plays Ole Miss this weekend. So, you know, got plenty to talk about down in Baton Rouge and across college football. It's been a fun season. Can't wait to dive into it even further this week on the College Football Daily. Talk to you later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.